Welcome to the Revival Center Podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and thoughts from our church. We hope you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. All right, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, let's read uh, a couple of verses here. Uh, This is going to end our Invisible War series. This is part 7. So, and I have more scripture than I have time. I have more stuff than I have time. So if I notice that I start to run out of uh, a significant amount of time to finish this message, I will reference the verses. The verses are on the app and the verses will be on the screen. But I just, you know, I want to get get through with it. Um, But I don't want you to think that I'm giving my opinion. That's why I always put so much scripture up there so that you can see where I'm coming from. Um, But tonight I may have to reference it for time's sake. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 is where our Bible study is going to start tonight. And it says, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 27, this is really my my, uh, foundation uh, uh, verse right here. Nor give place to the devil. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, uh, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Skip down now to uh, chapter 5, verse number 5. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covenant's man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So tonight is the invisible war, part 7. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise we give you glory for all the great and wonderful things that you're doing i pray god give us ears to hear what the spirit of god is speaking tonight in jesus name amen and amen all right as we begin to move into this teaching i'm going to take my time very quickly uh on the on the uh introduction here talk about halloween real fast i want to kind of give my my take on halloween sometimes i share this sometimes i don't um, but i felt led to share it in, in the context of the invisible war so with, with um, Halloween just around the corner, we are bombarded with new horror movies every single year. Uh, ghost costumes, gobblers, witches, and all that kind of stuff. First, as I begin to get into it, am I against a fall festival? No, I am not. Am I against dressing up like Batman or something? No, I am not. But I would, uh, I would challenge you to pray before you watch some of those hellacious movies. Okay? I believe some of those hellacious movies are inspired not by the Holy Spirit. Are you listening to me? I would caution you to pray and seek God before you allow your children to dress up in those hellacious costumes. I want you to note the history of Halloween very quickly. Halloween is one of the oldest holidays still celebrated today. It's one of the most popular holidays, uh, second only to Christmas. Some people view Halloween 
as a time of fun, putting on costumes, trick-or-treating, and having theme parties. Others view it as a time of superstition, ghosts, goblins, and evil spirits that I believe should be avoided at all costs. Now, Halloween is October the 31st, the last day of the Celtic calendar. This is where it came from. It was originally, originally a pagan holiday honoring the dead. Halloween was referred to as All Hallows' Eve and dates back to over 2,000 years ago. That's the history of it. Um, All Hallows' Eve is the evening before All Saints' Day. All Saints' Day was created by Christians to convert pagans and is celebrated on November the 1st. The Catholic Church honored saints on that designated day. This is where it comes from. Now, there's a word here, S-A-M-H-A-I-N. I'm not exactly sure of the pronunciation of that word. But that word was a harvest festival with huge sacred bonfires marking the end of the Celtic year and the beginning of a new one. Oftentimes, in the pagan society uh, societies, sacrifices were made to That word, S-A-M-H-A-I-N, the Lord of the dead, in order to satisfy him. So this is the origin of where modern Halloween comes from. The Celtics believed the souls of the dead roamed the streets and villages at night. Since not all spirits were thought to be friendly, gifts and treats were left out to pacify the evil and ensure next year's crops would be plentiful, the custom evolved into trick-or-treating. This is where it comes from. This is the history of it. Now, there is a former high priest of the Celtic tradition of Wicca. That's where Wicca comes from. A former high priest who was converted, who got saved, said this right here. This is what he said. The modern holiday we call Halloween has its origins in the full moon closest to November 1st, the witch's new year. It was a time when the spirits, or what I would call demons, were supposed to be at their peak power and revisiting the earth planet. He went on to say that Halloween is purely and absolutely evil and there is nothing we ever have or will do that would make it acceptable to the Lord Jesus. That is somebody who was converted out of that wicked religion and who is now a Christian now speaking back uh, into it. Many years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote this, that one of Satan's most deceptive tactics is to convince people that he does not exist. I believe that. Many people think of the devil as no more than a symbol of evil, like Santa Claus is a symbol of giving, that he is just a fictional symbol in our imaginations. I say all that to say that we are involved in an invisible war, a spiritual war, and we must be discerning the spirits of the time in which we live, and those of us who are spiritual need to be spiritual. Amen to that? I'm going to leave that right there. Let's keep going. So we close out this seven-week teaching on this invisible warfare tonight as we finish by talking about and studying temptation, strongholds, backsliding, and forgiveness. Now, as we begin, I want you to please note who this letter uh, was written to. This is a letter. This is not, um, uh, this wasn't a book or whatever. This was Paul writing a letter to somebody, okay? I want you to notice who he was writing it to. He was writing it to the Ephesians. He says at the opening of the letter, hello, my name is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. 
to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? That he believes that his audience is who? Christians, right? Would you agree with that or disagree based upon Ephesians 1.1? Okay, I'm setting you up, okay? To the saints, faithful in Christ Jesus. I believe that he is writing this letter to people that he believes is saved reading this letter. See this. you got to see this. This letter was written to people whom the Apostle Paul believed were born-again believers. But yet, he tells an audience that he believes is a born-again believer. He uses these words to these Christians, Ephesians 4.27. Don't give place to the devil. There's other translations that says, don't give him a foothold. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Okay, But he is saying this to who? He is saying this to believers. Notice Ephesians 5.5. 5. Again, we've already read it. But he is speaking this to people who he considers saints in the kingdom of Christ. He says, they have these, for this you know, no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. See, this begins to make me confused. Who is he writing this to? Is he writing this to people who are sinners that's not going to heaven? Or is he writing this to people who are born again? If you're born again, then why would you have to put this in your letter? If I was writing a letter to the staff, as an example, okay, I would not say, for this you know, no fornicator, uh, talking about to my people, <laughs> come on somebody, uh, is going is to have any inheritance. I wouldn't use those kind of languages speaking to them. He also says in Ephesians 5, 6, again, we've already read it, let no one deceive you. Watch. There is a teaching out there that says that it is impossible, and I stress the word impossible, for a person who is once saved to ever be lost again. Now, I stress the word impossible. Now, the reason that I stumbled upon this, and, and I, I do believe that this is invisible warfare, that you must see this, is because whenever I um, first got called into ministry, whenever I was about 18, 19 years old, I didn't know where I was going to be preaching, okay? I didn't know. There's people in my, in my background in terms of ministers. I had an uncle who was a United Methodist preacher who was my preacher, like in our family. Like when we got together, he was the guy who blessed the food. You, you know what I'm talking about? So, so I had that in my, in my wheelhouse. In fact, my brother oftentimes will still go to a Methodist church sometimes. And now I know they're all, you know, it's all jacked up a little bit with where they're at. But I'm talking about 20 years ago. So I actually contemplated, do I, am, I'm called to be a preacher. I'm called to be a pastor. Do I need to be a Methodist minister? I didn't know. So my mom goes to a Southern Baptist church, and so um, her and I talked. I was like, maybe I'm called to be a, a Baptist preacher. I don't know. Uh, my grandparents went to a holiness church. And I'm, whenever I say holiness church, I mean like the old school holiness church. No makeup, the big buns. Come on, somebody talk to me in here. I've never, I ne never saw my grandmother wear makeup. Ever, 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 okay? And I, I think she slept in the one dress she had, okay? I've never seen her not look the way she looked growing up, you know what I mean? Um, 
So they were old school, old school Pentecostal holiness, that kind of thing. So that was my background. And the local Assembly of God church came by and picked me up on a van. So that was kind of how all this stuff kind of happened. And so I was wondering, you know, what do I truly believe? What do I really believe? I'm going to stand in front of congregations and I'm going to declare the gospel. I want to make sure that whenever I preach what I'm about to preach, that I have a conviction and that I really believe what I'm saying. You tracking with me? So I got alone, me, me and the Lord. I pushed aside all the commentaries, and it was just me and the Bible. And I had some questions. And I began to ask those questions. And I began to search the scriptures until I came to a conviction inside of my soul that began to formulate where I'm going to land in this thing. One of those journeys that I was on is what I'm giving you tonight. Is what I'm giving you tonight. Because I had heard it before. That well once you get saved man you, you, you can never fall away. The reason I struggled with that is because whenever I was in 7th grade I got saved. I really got saved whenever I was in 7th grade. 8th uh, grade and junior high. Man I was, I was radically saved man. Um, there was no doubting that okay. But then I backslid heavily in high school. And it was during that time that I was backslidden that if you asked me, Jason, are you going to go to heaven at 17 years old? I would have looked you in the eye and said, probably not. Because I knew what I was doing. Are you listening to me? And I had been saved before. And I knew scriptures. I had memorized scriptures before. And I knew that what I was doing was not lining up with the word of God. Okay? I knew what I was doing was wrong, and there was nothing inside of me that felt like I was going to go to heaven, okay? which is one of the reasons why, you know, anyways, let me get back to it. So here is one of the, the, the avenues that I went down. So you're in my personal Bible study right here. Is that okay? All right? All right, so let's get into it. So if that position was true, that it is impossible for me to ever fall away, then why would the devil continue to tempt me as a Christian? Why would temptations still be coming at me if it wasn't ever going to work? Why would there even be an invisible warfare inside of my soul if there was no losing on my end? Mm -hmm. That was just a question that I had. My other question was this right here. I'm giving you one why would Paul tell saints why would Paul write in the book of Ephesians do not give the devil a foothold whenever that can't happen whenever it's impossible for a Christian to give the devil a foothold are you tracking with what I'm saying so I had questions why would Paul say to Christians let no one deceive you if you can't be deceived these people living in sin will not inherit the kingdom of God why if it is impossible and I say the word impossible why would the writer of the New Testament not talk as if it was impossible. Let me, let me give you some other, the other side of it. And this is a scripture here, John chapter 10, verse 28, that uh, whenever I was going through this formation that, that people would point me to, and they would say, well, look, Jason, look, look, I gave them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And I'm like, true, I believe that. I believe that right there as long as you are in his hand. <laughs> You know, that I believe that, but uh, I can certainly get up out of his hand and say, see you later, and walk right up there. Nobody can snatch me out of his hand. I just had a question about that. Okay, so, all right, check. Uh, don't give place to the devil. Okay, I'm in his hand. Don't give place to the devil. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 35. People pointed me to this scripture also. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, pearl, or the sword. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, nor things to come, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. True. I believe all that. I don't think anything can separate you from the love of God. I think God loves you with an unconditional love. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter when you did it. It doesn't matter anything, whatever. God's love is unconditional. He loves you. I believe that. And I'm also telling you don't give place to the devil. <laughs> you, you're tracking with me right here. So nothing can, can, can cause you to walk away from Jesus except you. And is this thing on? Turn me up a little bit. I want to I hear myself. Watch. If there is a repeated disregard of the teachings of Scripture... If there is a continued resistance of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if you begin to push through all the boundaries at a certain point, you have given place to the devil. At a certain point, that scripture is going to kick in, friend, and you have allowed the devil to set up shop right there inside of your mind. I want you to note a couple of things. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 1. And I've had this conversation with many, many pastors over the years. And they give me all the verses about how they believe. And I'm like, I agree with all of them. But my problem with those verses is this one. To the angel of the church of Ephesus. These are, this is a church. To these things, he says. Um, okay, go, okay, so I, this sets up the fact that he's talking to a church, the church of Ephesus. So this is my issue. Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. Notice what he says. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Somebody allowed the devil to set up shop. Mm -hmm. Okay. Look at verse number five. Now, did he say no problem? No problem. You've, you've left your first love. No issue. Um, because it's impossible for you to ever fall away. It's impossible. So you're still good. Is that what he says? No, that is not what he says. He says this right here. Friend, church in, in, members of Ephesus, remember therefore which you have fallen. Repent. Somebody say repent. 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 Turn around. Do a 180. Walk away from whatever it is that you've been doing. Walk away from it. Or else. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Or else I will come to you quickly, remove your lampstand from, from its place unless you repent. So the thing that I've always struggled with, and, and the reason I wound up in an Assemblies of God church is this right here. I cannot tell you that it is impossible for you to ever not walk away from Jesus whenever I'm asking my own self this question. Why are these people having to repent whenever you shouldn't have to repent if you are already repented? It's confusing. It confuses me. Repent from what? What are you repenting from? I am already saved. And if I'm once saved and I'm always saved, then why would I have to repent? Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Again, it's just questions, y'all. Uh, Pergamos. So we're writing to another church. Look at verse 12. Um, uh, verse, verse 12, yeah. And to the, wait, I'm sorry. Go, go back to uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Did I already do that? I'm, I'm confusing my own self right now. Yeah, I already did that. All right, he says repent or else. All right, now Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. Excuse me, I'm, 
I'm getting Pergamos. Pergamos. All right. So we're writing to another church, Pergamos. Uh huh. See that? Look at verse 16. Repent, same thing, or else I will come to you quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. In other words, he's telling church people, you have allowed the devil to take a foothold. And if you don't repent, I'm going to come and fight you with the word of my mouth. Are you seeing that? Okay, so that was always my issue, y'all. I couldn't get away from the scriptures here. What are you repenting from? Uh, if it's impossible, look at Revelations 22, verse 19. And here we go now. This is where it really picks up. How is it possible uh, for this verse to be in the Bible if it is impossible to do what this verse is saying is about to be done? And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And so when I begin to really study this for myself and not listen to preachers and not listen to commentaries and just read it for what it is, I'll quickly begin to recognize that if I'm going to stand in a pulpit and tell people that it is impossible for you to ever walk away from Jesus, I'm going to have to put an asterisk by that as a minister of the gospel and say, unless, unless... You take away from uh, the prophecy of this book, God will take away your part from the book of life. You see what I'm saying? But then that begins to throw a wrench in the whole concept because I thought it was impossible. But I'm reading right here that it's not impossible. And so now it really began to open some things up and I really begin to study it even a little bit deeper. Check this verse out in Galatians chapter 5 verse number 7. You ran well. Look what he says. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Some people would come back at me and say, well, those individuals was never saved. Well, Paul thought they were. Paul is saying you was running good. Paul was saying, man, you was running well. You were going after the truth of the grace of God. And then he says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? In other words, man, you were going to church. You were going to Sunday school. You was coming to church on Wednesday night. Come on, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm talking to y'all right here. All right. Man, you was, you was praying. You was reading your Bible. You was paying your tithes. You were Sign up, going on a missions trip, praise the Lord. You, you was doing all these things, and all of a sudden you stopped. Don't get quiet on me now. All of a sudden you stopped. And so who hindered you? What happened? Why were you running your race and you were, you were going hard after God? Who hindered you? Uh-huh. Look at verse 8. This persecution does not come from him who calls you. In other words, it wasn't the Holy Spirit that, ta that told you to stop going hard after God. Talk to me in here. Galatians 3.1. Look at this wording. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before those eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Do you see this, ladies and gentlemen? Some people would say, well, you could never fall away because you were never saved. Well, Paul absolutely thinks that these jokers are saved. 100%. He thinks they are. And he is, he is he's contending with them, man. He's like, I'm not going to let you go away without trying to get you to understand that what you're doing right now is, is someone has bewitched you. Are you seeing this? 
So Paul is clearly concerned with this change that they're living right here with the Galatians. Why would Paul be concerned if this was not possible? Paul uh, believed that they were saved. Paul does not cast them off as saying, oh well, oh well, they just never were saved. So I ain't worried about them no way. That ain't what he's doing. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 4.10. I've used this verse many times because Paul actually names the guy Demas. Imagine getting your name in the Bible for that reason right there. You know, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So, you know, again, anybody who tells me that it can't happen, I'm like, well, it happened to Demas. You know, so, you know, if it happened to Demas, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. All right, all right. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Hope I'm not boring you, but this is Bible study. Come back next week and we're going to have a brand new series. All right, now watch. Check this one out. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? The seed is the word of God. Watch what he does. This is Jesus. Next slide. Watch what he does. For those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Okay, so they hear the word of God. Then the devil comes, takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Okay, so they didn't even get to the part of salvation. Verse 13, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while. Do you see that? Believe for a while. What is that? What is a while? Is that six months? Is that a month? Is that a week? Is that a year? How long is a while? I don't know, but in the time of temptation, they fall away. Do you see? I'm not making this stuff up. Next slide. Verse 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those which, when they have heard the word of God, go out and are choked by the cares. I got to get to work in the morning. I don't have time to go to church. Riches. I got to make sure my 401k. I got to get a boat and a, a, a motorcycle. I got to get a shotgun. I got to whatever, 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 whatever. And the pleasures of life. I, I, no, I don't have time to go to church. I'm working hard. And bring no fruit to maturity. Talk to me in here. This is tough, man. All right, next slide. I need to preach on something happy, don't I? I need to come here. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Okay, so listen. What you just read is church. Did you hear what I just said? What you just read is the church. This church is the people that come to this church. It's the ones that go to any other church out there. You have some who is on, on thorny on thorns. You have some that's rocky. You have some that are on the wayside. And you have some that's good ground. This is what makes up the church uh, in terms of the universal church. Are you hearing me? Now look at verse 13. Go back to 13. Look at the temptation. I am teaching about invisible warfare. So this is why. Temptation still happens to people who receive the word with joy. This is why if you come down to the altar and you give your heart to the Lord and you go to water baptism and then you walk back outside of them doors and that old flesh man rises back up again is because you are fighting temptation because he is checking 
you out, friend. He's checking you out. He's seeing if you have any roots, can you withstand the temptation that you're about to go under? Because he is betting on the fact that you do not have any roots. He's betting on the fact that whenever I hit you with what I normally hit you with, you're going to fold. I normally come around with that familiar spirit and I tempt you and you fold. You fold every time. So you can go into church because I'm going to be waiting on you when you get back out there. Go ahead and go to the altar. Receive the word with joy. He don't care because he's going to come right back around, tempt you to see if you've grown any roots. Can y'all handle this? It's an invisible warfare. Why does the devil continue to tempt us after we receive the word with joy to test our roots? No roots and you fall away. I'll give you another example so that you don't think I'm taking it out of context. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. Talking to bishops. Talking to men and women of God right here. Talking to people who desire to be leaders in the church. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 6. Do not pick a new believer. Don't pick a novice. Why do you not want to pick a novice? Because least being puffed up with pride that he falls into the same condemnation as the devil that man has no roots that man has not been tempted yet that man has not been tested yet and if you put somebody too young not ready they will fall away into the condemnation of the devil y'all looking at me like you've never read this before okay my question is is how can you fall into the temptation of the devil if it's impossible to fall into the temptation of the devil? <laughs> yeah, and that's why I have a problem with saying with, with, with that teaching, okay? So when do you fall? Do you fall with one sin? No, I don't think you do. Do you fall with two sins? No, I don't. So the question is, is, is when? When does this happen? When does this happen? I don't have an answer for that. I think it's different for different people. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, that it happens like this. For if we sin willfully, do you see the word willfully? Other translation says continually. That's how it says it. That after we have received the knowledge of the truth, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. In other words, you have been forgiven of your sin, of, of stealing, and somebody set you down and said, you can't keep stealing. That's, that's a, a, you know, you're, you're a born-again believer, and you still have sticky fingers, and you keep stealing, okay? Then you got to come back to an altar and get this thing under the blood again. Verse 27 uh, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, fiery indignation, which will devour the ad adversaries. So that doesn't sound like heaven to me. I don't know about you, but okay. Verse 29. How, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he uh, be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? This man was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. In other words, Jesus forgave you. He set you free, grace and mercy, and you went right back out there and started doing it again and again and again and again. Now, the Bible doesn't say six months, a month, a year. It doesn't say when apostate happens, but it does say it will happen because at a certain point, the devil has taken a foothold. Are you listening to what I'm saying? All right, all right, how does it work then? How does it work? If you come down, you get born again, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and then, you know, through a series of events, you're tempted and you fall away. Does he, like, erase your name? That's weird. And then put your name back, and then put your, like, that's kind of weird how that works. Well, let's check it out. I've already established the fact, back in Revelations 22, that he can't take your name out the book. Like, I've already read that part. 
Check, this is how it works. Look at uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 16. This is how it works. Now, the context of it, Paul is dealing with Israel. That's the context. Israel being the natural branch, okay? You can read it later, but here it is. For if the first fruit is holy, then the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And now he begins to teach. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive shoot, uh, talking about the Gentiles, were grafted in among them, like Abraham's blessing, okay? Jesus was a Jew. We've been engrafted in. And with them, because a partaker of the root and... Fatness of the olive tree, verse 18. Do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Verse 19. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Verse 20. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Look what it says, ladies and gentlemen. Do not be haughty, but fear. Do you see that? In other words, I don't need to be walking around acting like nothing, acting like if I am just doing whatever I want to do. Any sin that I want to do, whatever that my flesh wants to do, I can't be doing that and then at the same time call myself a Christian. That is called being haughty. Come on. <laughs> Verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, finish it for me. He won't spare you either. I can't stand up here and guarantee you that just because you get saved, that it's impossible that he is going to spare you. Come on, somebody. Read the Bible for yourself. Don't even take my explanation for it. I'm just reading it. Verse 22. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God of those who fail. Hmm? It's Bible words. Severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue. You might want to circle that in your Bible if you don't mind writing in your Bible. If you continue, continue, continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Isn't this incredible that it's in your Bible, that you've never read it? Come on, somebody. Y'all looking at me like, like, where are you making this up, Jason? I promise you it's Romans 11. Look at verse 23. So here it is. This is the answer to the question. And they also, if they do not, somebody say do not. If you do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. There's the mercy, there's the grace. So the, the, to answer your question, how does it work? You come down and get saved, he grafts you in. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Unbelief, you fall, whatever the case is, yeah, your name comes out. But guess what? God is able to redeem you again and put you right back in that book. Somebody say amen right there. Woo! Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We serve a good God. We serve a good God. Now, why did I take the time to walk through that teaching? It's to illustrate the invisible warfare. Salvation is an ongoing conflict with temptation and sin. Did you hear what I just said? Temptation and sin are realities in a fallen world. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20. 
For if they, uh, for if after they have escaped the uh, pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again, again, do you see it, entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse from them than the beginning. Next slide, verse 21. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy command delivered to them. That's why I'm in this church right here. So that I can preach this message right here. Because there's some places that if I preach this message, they wouldn't let me leave the church before I would already be voted out of that place. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Can y'all handle this tonight? All right. Woo. So here it is. The fight is real. The temptations are real. Are you listening to me? Just because you get saved, that does not end the spiritual conflict. Ephesians 6.11 says that the devil has schemes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 says that the devil has schemes. That just because you get saved, he's going to scheme you up to see if you have any roots, my friend. Temptations are going to come. Let me repeat myself. Temptations are going to come. Everyone experiences temptations, but temptation is not a sin okay temptation is not a sin following through on the temptation is a sin okay I'm trying to help somebody temptation does not define me okay did you hear what I just said just because I'm tempted by something does not mean I am that something ah so if I am tempted to lie okay but I don't lie then I am not a liar. Even though I was tempted to lie, I didn't lie. I'm not a liar. Okay? So whatever your temptation is, you are not that temptation. Now, I feel like this is a word for somebody in the room or watching my live stream. Because what I have seen happen is people have been tempted with stuff. And then they take on that identity of whatever the temptation is as if they are already that thing. But you're not, okay? Because temptation is not a sin unless you act upon it. If I am tempted to lie and then I lie, now I am a liar. Mm -hmm. Y'all looking at me. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Look, look, was in all points, somebody say it, tempted as we are yet without sin. That proves to me just because I have the temptation does not mean that I have sinned. Because I have the temptation does not mean I am that thing in which I was tempted by. I can overcome it. Yes, I can. Jesus was tempted with lust, but he was not a fornicator. Jesus was tempted to lie, but he was not a liar. Jesus was tempted to steal, but he was not a thief. You can overcome every temptation that comes your way. Yes, you can. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13. You know the verse that there at the end, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You do not have to fall for the temptations I don't care what the temptation is I don't care how strong it is in the name of Jesus he makes a way of an escape and you can get your way through it it is our job to submit to Jesus and choose the path out of that temptation Woo! yes sir amen to that 
There is a grace for you. There is a strength available for you. And there is a shield of faith for you. But it only comes to those who confess that they need it. Who stand their ground. Who resist the devil. Are you listening to me? So when that temptation comes, friend, you have to be ready for it. You have to grow some roots. You got to put on the full armor of God and stand your ground. You got to quote scriptures. You got to make sure you head is covered you got to make sure you got good support that you're in church that you got the brother charlie on speed dial come on somebody talk to me in here you got some backup man because you're going to need that you can't do this on your own i can't do it on my own okay you got to make sure that you you're you're all, all in right here the goal of the temptation is to gain a foothold are you hearing me go to the next slide let me show you what a foothold is. Now, I know this. You're, you're looking at this map. You're like, Pastor Jason, what is that? What is that? This is D-Day. This is D-Day. Now, you got to understand. In, in 1944, um, if, you, if you know history, I don't, do they even teach history in school anymore? It's kind of story they teach World War II. I love, I love history. I love World War II. And so Nazi Germany was still in control of France and most of Europe. And so what the Allies did on D-Day in 1944, they landed on the beaches of Normandy. Watch now. Listen, listen to the Holy Spirit in this. It was critical that they establish a beachhead. A foothold. Are you listening? This would allow them to set up a staging area to bring in more men and more equipment for the future battles. Turn me up, Miss Leanne. I want to hear myself echo in here. I'm going to lose my voice. Now, from that tiny foothold, the Allied forces were able to push inland and in, with an effort to liberate France. So once they landed on that one small little beach, I don't know if you can see it or not. I really want you to catch this. Right there where the, all those little arrows are, right there. That's all they had. They had one small little slither. All the rest of it was still occupied by Germany. But because they got a small little foothold in, they were able to establish a beachhead. And from that place, they were able to take the whole continent. And Paul says to Christians, do not give the devil a stronghold. Do not give him a beachhead in your mind, in your emotions, in your heart. Whether it's a seed of bitterness. Whether it's a seed of unforgiveness. Whether it's a seed of lust. Whether it's a seed of whatever it is. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. You are not strong enough to handle this foothold that the devil will get. Are you listening to me? you got to cast this thing out. Now, one of the strongholds is the stronghold of the way you think. Mm -hmm. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. This is one of the ways that he gets a foothold inside of believers, inside of Christians. Because when you first get saved, you don't know nothing. Come on, watch now. You first get saved, you come down to the altar. Uh, I, I remember... Um, I remember Rachel Conley, the first time that she got saved, and she, she set up a meeting with me and Amanda, said, okay, I got some questions. I'm like, good, let's, let's have Bible study. We sat down, and this was her first question. So tell me, I'm reading the Bible here, tell me the difference between, like, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Tell me the difference between, like, what is this versus what is this? 
Oh, I love that conversation. Are you hearing me? Because I am dealing with somebody that I don't, I don't have to unteach crazy garbage. Are you hearing me? I'm like, we're about to do Bible study. And if you wonder how the Bible study went, she's now a credentialed minister with the Assemblies of God and is a missionary going to Belize. It went pretty good. I'm just saying. The Lord did a work right there because I didn't fill her head with a bunch of opinions. I put her in this book right here and we studied the book. And then the Holy Spirit did the rest. Okay, so my point is this right here. What happens is we begin to get too smart. What happens is that we've been coming to a church for a while and we get bored. We've been coming, listening to sermon, 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 and we get bored with it and we don't have a mountain to climb no more. I'm preaching better than you're letting on right now. You need a mountain to climb. You need that, just like Caleb, he was like 90 years old and he was an old man and he said, Give me this mountain. They said, Caleb, you're old, man, you're fighting days are behind you he said you better be quiet I am as young as I've ever been in my spirit give me that mountain everybody needs a mountain to climb everybody needs a mountain to fight all these verses you have all this experience you have all this temptation that you've already been through man give that away to somebody are you listening to me teach others how to overcome but what happens is we just take on we just get more and we get more and we get more we start Question and question and question, and then all of a sudden we we begin to get a little cynical with the preacher, get a little cynical with church. Hey, listen, I'm 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 talking to myself right here. We get cynical with stuff, but before we ever got cynical when we first got saved, it was like, Lord, I don't know nothing. Just help me. I don't know the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament. But after a while, the devil begins to get a foothold right here. Oh, this is the invisible warfare. Look what it says. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Keep going. Verse 4. I'm going to go all the way to verse 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What are the strongholds? This is what the strongholds are. Arguments. Do you see that? Casting down arguments. And every high thing, what high thing? Information, other worldview, other things that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Do you see this? One of the first ways the devil tries to get a foothold in the church is right here between your ears. So the stronghold is the way you think. We say, I can't stop lusting. I can't stop. I've tried everything. We say, I can't stop using. I've done everything. I I just can't stop. I can't stop being angry. I'm just an angry person. I've tried everything. Other people say, God made me like this. Every time I try, God just made me like this. Why fight the temptation? It's just the way I am. Well, the first way that you begin to pull down these strongholds is quit talking like that. My goodness. Listen, your words today is your future tomorrow. Those are seeds that you're putting in the ground, man. Quit talking like that. Proverbs 18, 21. I don't even got the time to go through all this. Death and life and the power of the tongue and those who love it eat its fruit. Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 17. I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. The reason I am an upbeat person that the glasses 
glasses always half full is because I have learned to watch what I say. Am I perfect? No. Sometimes I complain. I don't need to complain. That's the reason Amanda helps me not to complain. Come on, somebody. Sometimes I help her, praise the Lord. All right, all right, all right. Number two, you got to bond that stronghold and cast it out of your life. We already talked about that, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. I got to hurry. I knew this was going to happen. So by doing this, it shows these d- demonic temptations coming at you that it has lost the legal right to have a foothold in your mind because you are talking differently, Okay. Now, you, you may feel a certain way, but you're talking Scripture. And the third step to defeating this stronghold is Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. You should know it by now. I go to this verse all the time. You have to renew your mind. You have to take what, if you think God made you this way, then you're going to have to take this word right here, digest it. And every time that stronghold comes up in your mind that says, God made me this way, I go right here and say, no, I am made in the image of God. And I fight it. I fight it. And I speak it. I speak the word. I speak the word. And I just fight it. And I put that word. I say, I ain't thinking like that no more. It's a temptation. It comes at, it comes at my head. I ain't thinking like that no more. This is what I'm thinking. And it is called the invisible war. Are you seeing this, man? Oh, my goodness. Praise team, go ahead and start making your way up. That way everybody will say, give me five more minutes right here. I just need five more minutes, all right? All right, let's keep going. You got to change the way you think. You got to change. So I close with this final point. I, I close right here. That no matter the temptation, no matter the condition, listen to me, y'all. No matter our falls and no matter our mistakes, no matter if it looks like the devil is winning, listen to me now, we always have one final option left. Are you hearing me? Okay. It doesn't matter how bad the war is happening. You feel like you're losing. I'm going to leave you right here. Revelations 12, 11. You always have this at your disposal. And they overcame the devil. Uh huh. How did they overcome the devil? By the blood of the lamb. You always have the blood of the lamb in your back pocket. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how depressed you are. I don't care what it looks like. You always have the blood of Jesus in your back pocket and and the word of their testimony. Okay, now, what does the word of their testimony mean? It can mean two things. It can mean your testimony. But I believe that the real revelation of the testimony is who you say Jesus is to you. (laughs) Peter who do men say that I am? Peter, you are the son of God. Upon your confession, I'm going to build my church. I believe that's the testimony. So here it is. If you if you're, feel like you're losing this war, you begin to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You begin to say, you are the risen one, and I put my faith in you. Cover me in the blood of the Lamb. And to illustrate this very quickly, to illustrate this, no matter your condition, no matter your condition, You can always change your condition around if you call out to him, okay? Very quickly, I'm not going to read these verses. Just give me two minutes right here. Revelation chapter 2, 1, we meet Rahab. Rahab is in Jericho, okay? In Revelation chapter 2, verse 3, we meet Rahab, and she is a harlot. Uh She is a prostitute. Verse number 4, she even lied. You say, I can't believe she lied. She lied. Well, she was a harlot. I mean, I, she just didn't mind lying, you know. But the, the situation here is that the spies came over and she hid the spies in her room. Okay? 
All right, so watch what happens. It doesn't matter your condition. It doesn't matter. If you call out to him, God will answer. So watch what happens. Look at verse number 9. She changed sides. She said, you know what? I've heard about your God. I've heard about your testimony. And you know what? I want to change side. If I hide you here and the conversion begins to happen, the harlot said this right here. She was not raised up in church. She did not have a godly upbringing. She was actively living in sin, but she recognized God was moving. How does a sinner recognize when God is moving? I believe there are people out there right now who are not saved. But they can sense when God is moving. And can I encourage you that whenever you feel God is moving, that is your opportunity to change sides. Are you hearing me? Woo! Help me, Holy Spirit. Verse 10. She says, I heard about the miracles uh, because the miracles travel fast. Verse number 12, and here is this prostitute who does not, uh, no longer care about her condition. Verse number 13, she is asking uh, for mercy now upon her life. She doesn't have a right to ask for mercy. She hasn't done nothing to, to get the mercy. But she says, I know I don't deserve it. I know that I'm in a really bad condition. I know that I haven't been serving your God, but I'm asking you for mercy. And guess what? She begins to get some mercy. Verse 15, I want you to note that her home was in the wall. Well, you say, didn't the walls come tumbling down, Jericho? Yes, they did. So does that mean that God did not have mercy on this sinner's family? That's wrong because all the walls came down except this small portion. A little part of that wall did not fall. The part that she lived in, verse 18, the sign was this right here. Make sure you take a scarlet uh, rope, put it out of your window. And whenever we see that scarlet rope out your window, go to the next slide. It looked kind of like that right there. When we see that, then we know that that is where you live. And what color was that scarlet rope? Mm -hmm. It was crimson. Oh, yes, sir. It, that, this was a sign of Jesus in the Old Testament. This was a sign to teach us all the way in 2022 that no matter what your condition is, no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, you can stand up and call for mercy. And whatever house calls for mercy, you will find the blood of Jesus hanging out that window. Dear God. So all of Israel, all of Joshua and Caleb, they was believing God for the walls to fall. But right there, there was a woman who was believing for her wall to stand. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And Can I finish it real quick? Not, not only was she covered with mercy and grace and God used her. Check the rest of her story out. Matthew chapter 1 verse number 5. Look at this. I can't say all them names. They don't, their names ain't Jimmy and Billy. But look at what it is. Uh, it was that Sol Solomon, Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Do you know who Boaz was, right? Uh-huh. Begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Next slide. You, you don't even know who Jesse is. Jesse begot David, the king. Huh? Look at that. God said, I'm going to use this woman because she called out for mercy. Even though... Her condition didn't say for her to call out for mercy. She called out for mercy. And I'm going to use her all the way. Look at verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph. And Jesus Christ came from Rahab. My point is this right here. Ladies and gentlemen, fight 
this invisible warfare, no matter the condition that you are in, no matter what you find yourself in, you always have the blood of Jesus on your side. And you always have a testimony on your side. The devil would try to oppress you, and I tell you to cry out. The devil would try to tempt you, and I would tell you to cry out. The devil would try to shut every door, and I would tell you to cry out. Take captive every thought, submit it to God's word. Fight wherever you are. Pray wherever you are. Repent wherever you are. Be able to stand at the end of your journey and you say what uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Last verse. Altar call is right now. Paul says this right here. I have fought the good fight. Invisible warfare. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all those, to all who have loved his appearing. This crown ain't reserved just for Paul. This crown is reserved for you too. He fought his fight. He is there. He's got it. The question is now for you. Are you going to fight Wherever you are, this invisible warfare, friend, I hate to say it like this, but you got to make your own mind up for where you stand. I know what Jason Adams has already decided. I've already decided a long time ago that I am going to fight this fight no matter where it takes me, no matter what comes, no matter what goes. I am going to stand right here, call out for mercy. Uh-huh. I'm going to plead the blood, and I'm going to give the testimony. Are you hearing me? And I will overcome this devil no matter what it is. I will overcome it by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. I'm going to keep talking. For more information about the Revival Center, visit us on the web at revivalcenterag.com.